We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, The place to up-level that sexy life of yours. With expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Kat. Now, how do you handle breakups? What are your go-to tools? Is it a pint of ice cream watching chick flicks with your best homegirl while throwing used Kleenex at the screen? Or do you believe that the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else? Amy Chan, the brilliant founder of Breakup Bootcamp Retreat and author of the same title, is here to help us through the process of healing our hearts after a breakup. We even get into talking about ways that you can improve your dating life and release the patterns that have bound you. But before we get to Amy Chan, I have relaunched my popular Sensual Awakening 14-day initiation into the lifestyle of sensuality. This trauma-informed course is presented in bite-sized pieces for all of you who complain that you want to be sensual, but you just ain't got the time. No fluff, just real juicy practices to help you sustain a lifestyle of pleasure and orgasmic bliss. Like, no big deal, right? (laughs) Link is in the show notes to join me. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and I want to thank you for your reviews on iTunes and Spotify. If you haven't done it already, then show me some love and head over there to the app and find where you can leave me a little love note. (laughs) Then head over to sexloveyoga.com to grab my free Sensual Sundays guide full of rituals and products to inspire you to want to stay in with yourself on the weekend. Now to our awesome guest, the hard hacker queen herself, Amy Chan. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yay. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've missed you over the last few months that I haven't seen you. I guess August, when was that? November. November. Like like I miss Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know what your thoughts on or around manifestation or if you, if you believe in that, but I actually came across your work probably three, well, I don't even know, 2020, I kind of get lost with 2020, but at least three years ago. And I was like, damn, this woman's got it good. She's like the, the, the business model she has, what she's created with her retreats, which is like all of this around breakups. I'm like, I needed this in my life. <laughs> this is what I needed. And you are literally, I, I just checked before we hopped on here and you're still in my bookmarks from years ago. Wow. And then <laughs> it's so funny to, to rewind, you know, uh, fast forward through life and how we got connected. And then now I've taught for alongside you, both at your breakup bootcamp and at your power play retreat, which is uh, around sexuality. And I'm like, well, I don't know if manifestation works, but I, I, there's something there. <laughs> there's something there, something magical there. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, in your book and in other podcast interviews, you are so open to share about your process here, about the relationship that acted as the catalyst for you to, to create this breakup boot camp and the book and the retreats and basically this whole empire. <laughs> so can you share with our audience what this what this was, what this looked like for you. So what that relationship looked like, what your thought process was, what your, uh, process of the beginning stages of that breakup that led as this inspiration. To give a backstory for those who don't know my story, uh, I guess it started with when I was really young, I had this idea that success and the living the dream meant to date, get married, have kids and live happily forever after. And that was the storyline I was after. And I found myself in a relationship where I was exactly on schedule. I was dating an entrepreneur. We were living together. We talked about our future. Everything was set. And then one day that relationship fell apart due to infidelity. And it was a major shocker. And I... So much of my identity in him and us and our future and those plans that without that, I completely fell apart. I didn't know who I was. I I just, everything I had thought I was living up towards was gone. And I just spiraled into depression. I stopped eating. I um, had thoughts of suicide. It was just really dark. And as a self-identified overachiever, I also had this extra layer of shame because my entire life, I could just do something to get the goal that I wanted. And there was nothing I could do to get rid of this pain. It was following me everywhere, even into my, my nightmares. And so I I think I I just really struggled not only with the grief of the relationship, but the grief of this future that I would now not have. And then the shame of feeling all of those things. And I I eventually got myself out of this black hole. Um, I really did hit rock bottom and I had a choice, you know, when I had those thoughts of really trying to figure out how I could pull off a suicide without traumatizing the the person who would end up finding my body, like I didn't go through with it because I couldn't figure out how to pull it off. And then I fell asleep that night. And then I woke up in the morning. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is rock bottom. Like I have to choose, like I'm either going to keep spiraling down uh, and do something completely destructive to myself or to him, uh, or I'm going to fight and everything everything in my body was like, just isolate fetal position. Don't eat, don't do anything rage. And I'm like, I have to fight all those urges and, and get better. And I did. And eventually when I did, I, you know, I had gone to everything like therapy, Reiki yoga retreats. And I just felt like I wasn't making any leaps and bounds. I was procrastinating my pain when I went to some of these retreats. And so I thought, well, what happens to those people who don't have a support system, who don't have the tools, who don't know the books? And I'm like, I have to create this. I have to create a safe space for people where they can get away. They're in nature and they are led by the top experts, not friends who are, you know, 
blaming and pathologizing the ex, but, yeah, but yeah. people who can actually give you the tools so you can heal in a healthy way and move forward and hopefully not repeat the same patterns over and over again. And that's how Breakup Bootcamp was born. Mm, that's so brilliant. And you bring up some really good points. I love how you how you highlighted I'm an uh have been an overachiever as o- overachiever is a solution for you to navigate stress or or um uh, fears or or struggles in your life and and I think that's important for all of us to be able to identify these these ways of coping and when it comes to breakups like we all have these different ways of coping and moving forward what do you see as do you do you see common strategies or common patterns in how people relate or or uh definitely oh my gosh <laughs> and so i so i do notice there is a difference between men and women now uh. the research does support this that men have more of a tendency after a breakup to distract so they will be more likely to go and date again get mm-hmm. into another relationship more fast mm-hmm. uh but eventually the pain catches up, right? That's what we call baggage. It follows you either into your next relationship or, you know, it it comes back with a vengeance. With women, uh, they tend to kind of dive deep into it. They talk Mm -hmm. about it. They really sort out their feelings. Um, And what happens is, they get over it. And then when they do, they get over it. Now I've seen the same thing happen in just my six years of doing business, um, the same pattern. And so with the men, I'm trying to help them. Let's not minimize. Let's not avoid. Let's Mm -hmm. actually process the feelings and not feel shame around this emotional experience. And, and then with the women, sometimes I find that they're going into too much of a digging of this like <laughs> CIA agent. Let me get the, you know, every piece of information. I work with a lot of, uh, you know, achievers that's, I yeah, think yeah. that self-selects who comes to boot camp. So they tend to, um, intellectualize everything. Mm-hmm. And there's just a period in the grieving process where there is nothing to do. There's nothing to think. There's nothing to analyze. You just got to feel it and let the grief Ooh. do its work. Mm. <laughs> Preach that. You know how many podcasts I listen to and how many books I ran through after my breakups? Yeah. <laughs> let me figure this out. Yeah. And then the, there's that urge of, let me now tell this person what they were doing wrong and that they're, they're this attachment style or they do this. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like we're functioning for their healing process at the yeah. same time we're doing ours <laughs> or in, in exchange for our own. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I th- I imagine that moving through a breakup is um, you probably go through stages of this too, because it's a grieving process, right? You, you, um, I think of who was that, who had the stages of grief um, where Elizabeth you're bargaining. Kilber. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and do you see that similarly with breakups or what would you suggest somebody to do at the beginning stages versus later on? Yeah. So the original model has uh, six stages, which starts at shock. And that's like the body's way of protecting itself because 
it, it, it causes you to not absorb the entire new reality without your partner too quickly because it'd be too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Then it goes to denial, then depression, sadness, then anger, then bargaining, which is a form of denial. Uh, and I, I have found there's an extra stage, which, uh, which is accountability, which comes before acceptance. And accountability is really when I see the, the conversation starts to move from they did this, they need to do this. If only they would apologize or tell me why they did this to, I need to do this. It it, it really moves from them focused to me focused Mm. and like, oh, well, yeah, yes. What happened was unjust, unfair, Mm -hmm. but this is my part and this is what I can do. So it's really taking agency over well, this is what now I can do to move forward. And Mm. then it goes into that stage of acceptance and people bounce back and forth. It's not a linear process, but I would say that different stages require a different strategy. So when you're in shock and denial, that stage is really, you've got to feel the feelings, right? It's like breaking your leg. You have to like not run on it. You you just have to (laughs) let it rest. And the same thing with the heartbreak Mm -hmm. and, and talking it out is really helpful because when you talk about how you feel and you're replaying it, you're actually allowing your brain to process so that you could start understanding, oh, this is the new reality. And then once you get that, you, you realize like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I I don't know what's going to happen and I'm alone now. And then that's when like the depression and sadness and anger sets in, but then that takes a very different strategy once you're in that stage. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, understanding which stage you're in. And again, knowing that you're going to bounce back and forth. um, I think it's really important regardless of what stage you're in is to set yourself up for success. And first being, it is so important to be amongst community and people Mm. you feel safe around. Mm -hmm. And because we know, their nervous system is wiring ours, but you don't want to be around that judgmental friend or, you know, sister, um, because that's going to have the opposite effect, but you have to teach them how to support you because they don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Cause we do want to support any of our loved ones and we don't want to see them hurt. In fact, their hurt can, like you said, impact our nervous system. And so in attempts to, to calm their nervous system, we, we try to (laughs) get rid of it and and problem solve it or, you know, and that's not what they need. So how would you, how would you tell somebody to do that, support their friend? You make such a great point, Kat, because yeah, when someone is, is listening to your heartbreak story, right. And Mm -hmm. they're not equipped with the tools, Mm -hmm. a a natural inclination is to get you out of the pain. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what you're supposed to do. Like (laughs) let's end it. Right. And so let's, let's say these platitudes, like it happened for a reason. You're so much better or pathologizing Mm -hmm. the ex and all of that just creates this emotional charge and it doesn't help. So I, I think that telling your, your friends and family, Hey, I'm, I right now, I just need to talk it out. Mm, uh, I just mm. need to have permission to grieve, to feel it. I don't want advice. Um, I just, I just want you to listen to me. Mm. And and really that's, that's all that they can do. And, and if you do get to the stage when you're like, okay, I, I need to kind of understand um, some tools, some, some my patterns, seek professional help. Yeah. <laughs> Not your girlfriend at the coffee shop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's that so how I see that what you're just what you just shared is is this um idea of like 
when we're younger, we don't really, we're not necessarily modeled by our parents, how to self-soothe or even how to, yeah, self-soothe or, or take care of ourselves, or we weren't received, uh, the, the support that we needed, not all of us, but some of us, um, and here it's advocating for ourselves or, or parenting for ourselves and giving other people the tools of how they can meet us, you know, cause I'm thinking of, um, um, you know, my parents going to them and as loving as they were, they weren't able to, they were problem solving. They'd be like, we'll do this or, you know, and, and I'd be like, uh, that's not what I need, you know? And so here it's giving them in a loving way, the tools to be able to, to help you in a place that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned, and, and that just makes me think again of, um, what you said earlier about this overachiever, um, cause in your book, you, you identify these different patterns or this, these different essentially archetypes mm. of people and how they show up in relationships. And I was like, holy shit, Amy's like <laughs> describing, you know, the manifestation as a, an adult, but these are similar um, uh, uh, similar archetypes for childhood, our inner child too. Mm. Can you explain to our audience what these, what these archetypes are? Yeah, there's quite a few. And I'll start with, since we're talking about the achiever. Um, so the, the overachiever, typically when you kind of look back at the source of it, a very common pathway is as a child, they learned that they had to earn love and attention mm-hmm. and affection. Mm-hmm. And like, that was me. I got I got money when I got good grades and I got attention from my dad. But other than that, I didn't really get much. Mm -hmm. And I learned, I created this subconscious belief like, oh, love is earned. Do good, be a good girl, Mm -hmm. get good grades, be successful in their definition. And then I forgot that. I rem- I believe that, and there, but there's it's an emotional memory, right? And yes. then I learned how to adapt, and so that for me looked like doing really well in school, doing re- yeah. really well in my career, and so but and so when you look at overachievers on the outside, it's typically like, well, I don't get it. Like, why, why are my relationships like this? Why am I so heartbroken? I have a good job, I have good friends, I'm popular, whatever. Um, it, that adaptation has worked well in the career Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. work well in the relationship with self and relationship with others. Yeah. Because it's not about earning people's love and validation. Yeah. So I I think that's a really huge one. Another one I see a lot is the superhuman. And this is the person who uh, learned at a young age to be like the little helper. Um, And they took on roles other than being a child because they had to. Maybe they had to play the therapist. Maybe they had to play the caregiver for the younger siblings. And they learned that when I help and when I do everything, that's when I'll get that love. Um, So yeah, there's just, there's, there's a few different buckets. And if you kind of look at the, outcome of how someone's adapted as an adult, you can trace it back to these common root beliefs. And I think that's such an important part of the whole process because it can kind of like what you're saying, I'm also an overachiever <laughs> or there's that part of me. I will say it's a part of me because I'm many other things too, but how, you know, we, we can exhaust ourselves by trying to use the same strategy to, to receive love. And then it's like, why isn't this working? Like you said earlier, why isn't this working? Why can't I make this happen? Yeah. 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 And I think understanding, just taking a really hard look at these patterns 
can, can really be that starting point mm. to help un- not only unpack the history so that you could start making different choices in the future and not just fall into what's comfortable and what's familiar. Mm, yeah. And how would you suggest somebody start to look at those patterns or start to identify those? I would say one exercise you can do is look at your last three relationships mm. and and then write down the five to 10 emotions that you felt commonly in the in the relationship. They can range from, you know, joyful and excited to anxious and angry. You can write whatever mm-hmm. that spectrum is. And then take a look at the, the span of the three and circle whatever you see is common. And then you'll start to see like, oh, okay, the, the types of people looked very different, but anxiety keeps showing up across the board. Oof. Okay. And then now look at your relationship with your parents. Do the same thing as when mm-hmm. you were a child. What emotions kept coming up? See if there's any commonalities. And and I think that's just a good trick just to be like, oh, well, where might this have come from? Have, have I been carrying this emotional experience since I've been a child? Yeah, and it yeah. might not, right? It might be a newer thing, but, but the emotional experience is what repeats. And I think that's where people get confused because we're like, no, 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 like this person was an artist. And then the next person, they yeah. were, <laughs> you know, an entrepreneur, totally different, but I'm like, yeah, but you're always pining for their attention. They're always yeah. unavailable. So the emotional experience was the same. And then that's where you can identify oh, are these attractions of deprivation? Is Mm. this my subconscious really trying to recreate the scenario of the crime of this wound that felt very familiar when I was young in an Mm -hmm. attempt to change its ending? And so when you know that, you're like, oh, maybe my chemistry compass, right? What's pointing me into the direction of who I'm drawn to and who I'm repulsed by, maybe that needs some some fixing because who I'm getting 10 out of 10 chemistry with, that's actually not healthy. Those aren't healthy people. They're just familiar people. Mm, chemistry compass. I love that. Can we, can we, can we start that? <laughs> I can, I see a whole new Instagram uh, profile of just that chemistry compass. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And that's important. I love that chemistry, like 10 out of 10, but does that make a healthy relationship? Cause I, there's another podcast episode that I did, uh, not too long ago. It called, um, uh, fire hot chemistry or the it's about trauma bonding and how mm. chemistry, the shadow side of, of fire hot chemistry and like where, you know, we, we seek this super hot, natural, like fire, like my whole body is flaming with this person, but it's not necessarily healthy because it can actually, that intensity may be an activated nervous system yes. rather than love. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think there's, I hear people like, well, what, you want me to just date someone I'm bored with? Like, no, (laughs) don't swing to the other side of the pendulum. But I'm saying there's a sweet spot in the middle, right? And and I'm just saying, if you have a history of unhealthy relationships, your chemistry compass might be off, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a history of super healthy relationships and your intuition is on point, amazing, keep going. Um, But you know, like, like you said, is it really, my heart is racing really fast because I I feel anxiety. It's, Mm -hmm. it's familiar. It's my, uh, my nervous system. And, and if so, it's not that if you can start, you know, I think correcting your chemistry compass that you're not going to feel these emotions, you'll still feel it, but you will choose to not invest in that. Mm. Mm. I like that. Do you think 
So, okay. So you can still have the feelings. Yeah, I get that. But, and you're, and you're like, and even though I'm feeling those feelings, I'm not going to go after that person again. And I don't know, can you change who you're attracted to? Is that possible? So this is what I, I mean. I'll, and I'll, I'll just point, paint an example. I, I did all this work <laughs> on learning this, right? And then- Fever doesn't shock me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh my gosh, my chemistry compass, I understand it. I know where, where like my wounding is. And then I go to this party and, you know, my sweet spot was the unavailable tech <laughs> entrepreneur building some <laughs> friggin' app, okay? Um, and I go to this party, and it was a dinner party and I was cooking everything. And then there was this- this CEO dude there. And he was super weird. He had like these weird glasses on. He kept talking about these glasses and he wouldn't eat any of the food. And he's like, I can only eat uh, fatty foods for breakfast. And so I don't know what came over me. I was like packing Tupperwares for him for his lunch the next day. And I'm like, and then afterwards I'm like, I don't know. I'm really dragged to this guy. And I was like talking it over with Colette in the car ride home. Granted, this is not that long ago. And I was like, Oh, I feel this, this strangeness. And, um, and then I was like, wait a minute. Like I feel this attraction towards him because it is exactly like my wounded patterns from the past. This is a person who wasn't paying attention to me, who is not having coherent conversations and I'm packing his lunch. (laughs) Like, Oh, okay. And so look, you know, when we started messaging each other, not even on text on Twitter, I was like, (laughs) uh, I want to, but I was like, you know what? I've been down this path. I am not going to invest in it. So it's not that that thing wasn't there. Uh I just chose to be like, I'm not doing this. Oof. Yeah. And I love that. And I love also that you didn't end up doing a, you know, something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me that I'm doing, which we can so often get caught in this shame cycle of I'm doing something wrong or I didn't do enough or I didn't. And, and how that can be hard to find the balance of, you know, how do we take accountability with all, without shaming ourselves? Yeah. I, I love that. Right. It's like, it's recognizing it. Oh, okay. There's that pattern. Oh, I, I understand where that pattern comes from. Oh, last time I fell into that pattern, didn't have good results. Not going to do it again. Right? <laughs> it's not like, oh my gosh, it's because I'm just a flawed human being. <laughs> no kidding. The bad boy is going to be hot. Yeah, no, everybody thinks the bad boy's hot. Like, not a shocker. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost like this reliance on something that's quote unquote natural. You know, this fire, this hot chemistry, and you're like, oh, it's turning on my whole body. But it, it's it's forgetting that chemistry can also be created if mm. we take responsibility of put, putting in the work to make that chemistry. Yeah. Versus just relying on what's natural. Yeah. Like any relationship really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you just said. Like that's a total new seed that's planted. Thanks. Well, that's the shocker because you, in your retreats, you literally bring experts like sex experts, <laughs> like myself or like Colette, who's amazing with bondage and, and kink and BDSM. 
So you had to have known something <laughs> related to sex and, and moving through breakups. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's with so much of the work that you do, right? It's creating this new relationship with sensuality and uh-huh. sexuality with yourself. Yeah, And yeah. I think for many people, including myself, that's been a brand new concept. I didn't learn that when I was a kid. I didn't have a sex positive home. We didn't talk about that. Um, <laughs> You know, my mom still doesn't know like half the stuff. Like she doesn't know anything about like she, we've never had the conversation about sex. I don't even think the word has ever come up. So, <laughs> I, yeah, like I think this is new stuff, and I, that's why the work that you do, and even like listening to podcasts like this, it's helping mm-hmm. us reframe these storylines that we've had about sex, about love, about the fairy tale, the happily ever after and say, wait a minute, has that worked for me? Oh, it hasn't. Okay. Well, let me look at a new reframe. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And in there it's developing that like where we're outsourcing our love to somebody else, we're, we're building it within our own selves or connecting with our pleasure, connecting with our bodies, instead of asking somebody else to show up and fully accept love us yes. <laughs> unconditionally. Yes. Love me unconditionally. <laughs> well, are you doing it for yourself? <laughs> There's that quote, I think Mailer Monroe like said, which I think is, I used to love. And now I look back, I'm like, it's horrible. If you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. I'm like, absolutely not. Like if you are at your worst because you don't take accountability of your rage uh-huh. and you're critical and judgmental and you make people feel horrible. Yeah. I shouldn't love you at that point. I can love you from afar, but yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, in a partnership with you. So <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) let's try to, you know, cultivate those things within ourselves because they're skills and you Mm -hmm. can learn them. And the more you practice, the better you get, the stronger Mm -hmm. that muscle gets. And practice really highlighting that word because we can go into relationships and not be perfect at the self-love practice. (laughs) We can, you know, we can still learn that in a relationship, but it does require us to consistently show up for ourselves and practice and lean in and be mindful of where, where we're protecting or where we're connecting in a relationship. And like, we can take all this theory, you know, that you and I are talking about and read all the books and all the podcasts, but we have to put it into practice at some point. Totally. And like this whole thing with self-love, look, self-love isn't some friggin' island and you get there and suddenly everything's just <laughs> fine. You stay there, right? Self-love is every single day. You say you make a hundred decisions and half of those decisions might be rooted in self-love and self-compassion. Half of them might not be. I know mm-hmm. I wake up some days and the very first thing I do is I, I look at my phone, I scroll Instagram. I know that's not a you know, a decision rooted in Mm self-love. Right. And then there's times when I like, I'm, you know, mad at myself because I'm not doing enough achievements. And I talk to myself in a terrible way. And then the next day is a new start. And I'm like, okay, right. I got another hundred decisions today. Mm -hmm. What is the root of those decisions going to be? And so you could start exactly right now. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have this, like, I'm like just all about self-love and I'm there. No, we're doing Mm -hmm. it every single day, each and every single one of us. And even us experts, 
who talk about this, you know, it's still a practice for us and it's still, we fall off. And I'm like, I didn't do yoga. Last night, for example, I had a very stressful day and I curled up last night and put my candle on and just like held myself and imagined myself holding my little girl. And I was like, Oh, I haven't done this in a while. Okay. Well, here we are. We're back to our practice, you know, but it's, I think that's important to, to humanize our process. And even with breakups, it's like it, it ebbs and it flows and we forget and then we remember. And (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I hear, I think a lot of us hear the word um, boundaries and I hear, I listen to so many experts in relationships and I find that while everyone has some good things to say about boundaries, some of what I hear actually translates to being rigid and like very rigid. Like these are the rules of boundaries. This is what you do. Get the fuck out. They do this. You're out. And I'm like, like, I don't know if everybody needs, like everybody deserves love and relation, healthy relationships. But if we keep treating, you know, every quote unquote avoidant person, like they're not worthy of love, like how can we actually create healthy relationships? So how do you help people to identify healthy boundaries for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I see that a lot, this hardening of people who for a majority of their life, you know, acted like a doormat. And then they're like, okay, I I read the book. I saw the Instagram quotes and, and suddenly they create a wall and they go to the other extreme where they don't let anyone in and anyone who hurts them or triggers them, they're out. That Mm -hmm. is not a healthy boundary system. That is a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So you, you just swung to the other pendulum, but Mm -hmm. your, your reaction to, uh, someone, hurting you or breaching your boundary is just different. It doesn't mean that you've actually created a healthy boundary. And so I think that um, another thing that we do is understanding these labels, right? Attachment theory is Mm -hmm. super hot and popular, but we can actually use that as a way of judging and pathologizing people. And I'm seeing that a lot. You're an avoidant, like you're terrible. No, it's- It's it's you, yeah. It's a framework to help you understand your relationship and relationships with others. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a tool, not a way of labeling and, and othering people. Mm-hmm. And so I think the very first thing is to get really clear on what are the boundaries that you struggle with and, and is it boundaries with other people? Is it boundaries with yourself, your own self-discipline? Like for example, mm-hmm. are you always late? That's a boundary issue with yourself, right? Yeah. And understanding what are the categories? Are they physical boundaries? Are they emotional boundaries? Are they intellectual boundaries? And you could just, you know, Google this list of the different types of boundaries to understand. Mm-hmm. And then, and I would, I would do it like, bit by bit. You're not going to go from not ever being able to voice your needs and, and your limits to suddenly being the boundary queen. I would start <laughs> small and be like, okay, like here are three, three areas where I'm not speaking my truth and I'm going mm. to work on them. And I probably wouldn't, you know, tackle the relationship with your father right away. Right? <laughs> Do something smaller. Maybe it's your, your, um, I don't know, you're a roommate that keeps borrowing your favorite sweater and you're yeah. like, you, you learn a method of maybe use nonviolent communication to communicate why Oof, you don't yeah. want her to do that. Um, yeah. Start with these smaller things and then you start building your skill set and your confidence and then you could tackle the more higher risk mm. uh, relationships and boundary breaking. 
Mm, that's so good. And I think even developing the skill of learning what your limit is or what your truth is, like you said, I used to get so jumbled in the head, like when it would come to decisions, because I growing up would make decisions through other people and what other people needed. So I was very good at being sensitive to everybody else. But when it came into me tuning into what I needed, it, I would dissociate. I would just go jumble, jumble, jumble in my head. And I'd be like, eh, I literally can't think. <laughs> and so even that is a skill to figure out what your limit of what you're yes. available or what you want is before you can even communicate it. Yeah. And what I find often with people who come to break up camp and overgivers mm. is um, they're so quick to react to other people's wants and needs and agendas mm. uh-huh. that they'll go and do it because it's so habitual and then they'll feel yeah. resentment afterwards. So if, if that's the case, I would really encourage just learning how to practice to pause and even buy time. Mm, and that yes. might mean you say, oh, let me think about that. I'm going to get back to you. Just mm-hmm. even being able to practice saying that and then giving yourself the time so you could cognitively process and also process, well, where am I feeling in the body? Is my is my ch- chest feeling tight? Well, why is that? Oh, I have anxiety about this. I actually don't want it. And, and really stopping like, what? What do I want? Ideally, what do I want? Mm-hmm. And maybe not even like, am I going to get it? Don't even look at the reality. What do you actually want and desire? Start yeah. from there versus what people do is they start from the halfway point of what they think they might be able to get, but might not really, right? It's just like when you're negotiating a contract, you know, you want say a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. You don't go in and be like, well, you know, I probably can only get 35. So yeah, I'll, how about 30? And then yeah, you get 30 yeah. and then you're pissed. You're going yeah. with a hundred. Maybe you'll get down to 75, but you don't yeah. short sell yourself down to like the very bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's almost like we would rather preserve the connection with whoever it is versus allow ourselves to take up space and ask for what it is that we want and, and resentment or anger being that us stepping on our boundaries is like a really good indication that we just shortchanged ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that for those who do feel a lot of guilt Mm. uh, and wanting to preserve that connection, something to remind yourself is the people who truly do care and love you, Mm -hmm. they're not going to stop loving you because you're drawing a limit. They might feel uncomfortable because it's a different dynamic. It's human nature to want to preserve the status quo, but they're not going to they're not going to require you to abandon your values. And so, and if someone is that you have to really pause and assess, is that relationship the, the right relationship right now in your life? Oof. And that might mean you take a pause. That might mean that you take a step back from some people, but mm-hmm. if someone is only being in harmony with you, um, because you are doing things on their terms, so it benefits them. Well, don't know if that's a very sustainable relationship. Mm, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine it would be because you're giving and you're and you're put ex, uh, extending so much more energy, and that's exhausting. We want yeah. relationships that that refuel us rather than just drain us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The speaking of boundaries, you know, and, and identifying what's true for you, you know, there's everybody wants to be a relationship expert. <laughs> I know. And so I also see a lot of, um, you know, this is, these are the rules for dating or cosmopolitans notorious for this bless Cosmo, but it's also, they're like five rules for, you know, 
doing this around sex or, or, um, and when it comes to sex and dating, you know, we see a lot of this wait for three dates before you have sex with somebody or wait for five dates or, or a month or whatever it is. How do you help people to identify what their boundaries are around, around sex as it relates to new relationships or even after a breakup? Even yeah. after that, I, I think, you know, it's natural for people to want to know what's that timeline. Is it three mm-hmm. days? Is it three months? Right. And, and really the answer is going to be specific to you and your nervous system and your history, right? Like, uh, people who tend to be more anxiously attached, meaning they're, they, they fear abandonment and rejection. Um, they tend to, uh, uh, when they have sex and say the relationship doesn't work out because say there hasn't been enough emotional intimacy built up or trust, they can take that really hard. They can take yeah. that more hard than someone who's more securely attached or avoidantly attached. Right. But not everyone. So yeah. I, like, I know for me, you know, the minute I would have sex with someone, like it didn't matter. They could be a criminal and be like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> right. So I knew for myself, I had a pattern of getting very emotionally attached mm-hmm. if I got physically intimate too soon. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait until I can actually trust that this person isn't going to ghost that I know that they they're a good person. And then I will feel more comfortable. And then it also makes sex more enjoyable for me. But again, you have to look at your own history, your own patterns and determine what is right for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But with sex with the ex, I would say, no, just don't do it. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) I I will back that up. Don't do it. (laughs) Done it. It's really helpful. But then you're left looking at the ceiling and you're like, uh, what do we do? What does this mean? And it just isn't, yeah, nobody changes. <laughs> I mean, you can change, but yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's really important. And I love how compassionately you say it's, it's important for everybody to decide for themselves because even there we can outsource to these, you know, rules of how to engage or sex, but it's somebody else's experience and not, uh, not in, in not not ourselves, not our own voice. So it's almost like we're continuing this this cycle of looking to other people to set our limits for us instead yeah. of figuring them out for ourselves. Because I have friends who started as lovers and now they're you know married. <laughs> so it's not the same across the board. Yeah, but you know, everybody's different. <laughs> <laughs> So I personally have one more question before I have some listener questions that, uh, that they submitted to me, but in your experience or, um, from the work that you do, which do you see hurts worse, like relationships that are shorter, you know, two month, three month, or relationships that are longer, like a couple years, a few years. How do you see that? Oh uh, yeah. I often get people who they've come out of a, they've had a divorce from a marriage of 20 years and then they Mm -hmm. get into a relationship and it was like three months, hot and heavy, hot and cold. And they're reeling more from that three month relationship than their 20 year marriage. And they're like, I don't understand it. And so this is a really fascinating thing I've been looking at because if you look at the life cycle of a relationship, right? In the very beginning, you're just on love drugs, right? It's that passionate stage. It's very dopamine driven. You're Mm -hmm. really motivated to get more. Um, And it's like, it's like you're, you're on a high, right? Whereas when you are in a relationship for years or decades, the chemicals change, right? You're, Mm -hmm. it hits that 
a companionate stage of love where it's like the here and now chemicals and it's, it's more stable. It's more secure. You know, the routine of someone. So if you look at it as if you're going to say Disneyland, right? So you go to Disneyland and like you go on one ride, it's amazing. You go on second ride, it's incredible. And then there's like the next attraction you really, really want to go. And suddenly like, nope, park shut down. You got to go, go to the library right now, right? <laughs> Versus you were at Disneyland for eight hours. You did every attraction, you drank, ate all the ice creams and then you go home and you're tired. And you had your whole day of fun. Well, yeah. the one where you cut off on like the third ride before you're able to go through the whole thing and get tired and like eat too much ice cream or whatever, you're getting cut off at the very brink of your high. So look uh. at the relationship. You're getting cut off at the peak of the love drugs. You haven't had it level out. You haven't yeah. had your amygdala go back online where you have your rose color tinted glasses are on the floor and you start getting annoyed with them. And yeah. you're like seeing the, you know, the issues in the relationship. So that's why I feel that on a psychological level, it could feel like the three month relationship that was really intense hurts more. There's this more acute pain and yeah. it's because of the intensity. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. Now I'm looking at some of my last relationships. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've got two questions from listeners. If you follow me on Instagram at sex, love yoga, I take followers questions and put them to my guest experts. So these two questions, the first one, how can you tell if something's, if something, if it's something to keep working on or to move on already? Great question. I feel that if, if it is a long-term committed relationship that you want, mm -hmm. and if you don't want, that's totally okay. Um, you need to look at the four main pillars that create the potential for a long-term committed relationship, which is chemistry and connection. Mm -hmm. Um, the next is compatibility, which is an alignment of values of life vision. Mm. Third is timing. If it's the right person at the wrong time, it's the wrong person. <laughs> and then the fourth, which is the most important is two people equally invested in building. Oof. So if you are, you know, a, you have these ingredients and yeah, there's things you're working out communications, usually at six months, that's where you see a lot of the communication issues happen, but you're seeing that both people are invested and there is like, you know, a commitment to do what, it, what needs to happen to continue to grow and move forward. Yes. Keep going. But if it's just you doing it and they're not, I mean, that's going to be really, really hard. <laughs> and, and watch, is it a pattern or is it a blip, right? Because if they just went through a loss in their family and they lost their job and they're not able to focus on, you know, learning nonviolent communication framework. Okay. Yeah. Like that's a blip, <laughs> but if this is constant and it's a pattern, you have to get really realistic yeah. that, okay, this is how it's going to be. And in the next five to 10 years, can I accept this person exactly as they are right now, how it is? If not, then you have to make some choices. Yeah. Yeah. And some hard choices. And I have another podcast here on Eat, Play, Sex, where I talk about relationship ambiguity with Trevor Bohm. So be sure to check out that episode as well. That might be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Second question. How can I support my friend who is literally crying over this dumbass dude for a year now and she needs to move the fuck on? Okay, I have this question of whether this person is talking about themselves or about their friend because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have a friend. My cousin. <laughs> um, 
tell your cousin. <laughs> um, so I've had this where I've worked, um, like I've mentored someone who it was a year and it's, it seemed like they were just fresh out of the breakup. Mm. And what's been really helpful for those types of cases is redirecting their, their passion. So when you're just, you know, stuck on your ex and it's been a very long period of time, say a year, that is, I would say a year is a long period of time to be still stuck in like the beginning grieving stages. Mm -hmm. Um, that's passion and passion is energy, right? Mm -hmm. So your energy is just misdirected. So Mm -hmm. you need to find something that lights you up. So this might be a new hobby. You might take dance lessons. You might write that book you've always wanted to write. You might want to volunteer. So you're able to kind of get out of your own like self-wallowing and mm-hmm. and help other people scientifically proven that it does give you those positive chemicals um but it's redirecting that energy and and dumping it into this new obsession and what will happen is it will be a positive feedback loop you'll feel a little bit better as you get better at it um and then you'll naturally stop thinking about the X mm. because your energy is just mm. going towards this other direction. I found mm. that is like the number one thing for anyone who's been stuck in a perpetual mourning cycle over someone. Yeah, that's great. It's almost like creating this new sense of purpose for yourself mm-hmm. versus continuing to invest in these fantasies or thoughts about this other person that give us dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> Feels so good to fantasize about them. Yeah. But it's, it, then there's probably a crash right after, right? Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. There's so much potent information in this. And uh, and the next breakup boot camp is coming up in May. Yeah. May 20th weekend in upstate New York. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'll be there. I will be there. (laughs) So how can everybody find out more about you, more about how they can join Breakup Bootcamp or Power Play or your fabulous book that I've read? I love it. Yeah. So renewbreakupbootcamp.com is my website. um, And my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart is on Amazon and all bookstores. And my Instagram's at Miss Amy Chan. Yay. And follow it all because even on her Instagram, she posts these awesome reels. And I always take notes of them, of these, of, you know, what to do with relationships, how to (laughs) communicate, how to set your boundaries. And I'm always like, have a notepad. I'm like, yes, Amy Chan. Yes. Tell me what to do. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Love sharing them. I relate with these so much. So Everybody, we we hope that you would join us in May for the breakup boot camp, especially if your heart is still tugging at that that need for healing. And um, yeah, hit her up. Thank you so much for joining me, Amy. Thank you. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eat, play, sex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides because my goal here is to get you to eat play and sex better so you can improve your sex life which will improve every aspect of your life until next time keep it sexy (laughs) 